Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond Farside Chats. Hi, Brendan. Thanks so much for chatting to us today. Looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about Kirkman's Camp. Pleasure. Thanks, Cassia. Nice to be here. There are two things that I want to chat to you today about. Obviously, focusing on Kirkman's Camp, which is a very a very specific and a much-loved camp in Edbion's portfolio. And it has very recently undergone a refurbishment. It's got a brand new look, and there have been all kinds of exciting things happening there. So what I'd like to do is get a couple of details about that from you, but also just generally talk a little bit about Kirkman's and its history and what actually makes it such a special place. With pleasure, yeah. I'd love to love to share my recollections and my views of, of Kirkman's. It's a lodge that I'm extremely passionate about. Fabulous. Now, Brendan, you are regional manager for all of the South African Lowfeld Lodges, which which actually means that you oversee both our Salvi Sand Lodges and Ngala Private Game Reserve. As you say, I know you've had quite a long history with Kirkman's Camp. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how and when you first came to Kirkman's and what has it been your role there over the years? So I, I left the company for a very short period and actually returned back to and beyond in August of 2013 as the lodge manager at Kirkman's. So that was where my, my working career with Kirkman specifically started. And I held on to that role for, for a couple of years before being promoted to general manager of Exeter and Kirkman's at the time. We've subsequently sold Exeter. And then, as you mentioned, as of June 2019, I took over as regional manager for, for the South African Low Felt Lodges of which, you know, Kirkman's has been part of my portfolio since, basically since 2013. It's quite a good long time. So obviously you've spent quite a while at the lodge. Yeah. And uh, as I said, you know, as a, as a child growing up, history has always been something that I've been extremely passionate about. And that was a, a really nice fit for my wife and I come back here because we're both history junkies. And there was just so much to kind of deep dive into and so much to get passionate about with Kirkman's camp. So I love being here. Very very passionate about the place, the property, and the reserve. Well, that's that sounds like a fabulous fit. As I've mentioned previously, you know, Kirkman's has got quite a distinct look and feel that I actually think is is quite a lot unlike most of and beyond's camps, and it really does stand out and have a personality all of its own. And I do think a lot of that is connected with its history. In your opinion, what is it that makes the camp so different and so unique? Yeah, I'm very biased, but I, I think it's an extremely authentic experience. As you mentioned, none like anything we've got in our portfolio, and actually not not too much like anything that is is on offer around. And if you start deep diving into the history, just the connections that Kirkman's has with the origins of of the Kruger National Park, you know, dating back to the to the early 1920s, you know, the property being named after battleships from from World War One, the original homestead being built, and yeah, you know, those images of that original homestead with the pawpaw plantations overlooking the Sand River. When you look at those pictures now, you can very much see the footprint of the current main building. And that's not something you can replicate. And I think that really lends to, to its authenticity. There's also incredibly deep connections with the establishment of the, the Kruger National Park and the infamous pioneers of conservation like Harry Kirkman himself, uh, Colonel James Stevenson Hamilton, Bert Tomlinson and you know others just to kind of name a few and that history is replicated in the uh, in the artifacts that are scattered around the lodge and as I say it just lends itself to an incredibly authentic experience 
it's also one of the oldest commercial lodges in the Sabi Sands. It was opened in, in 1983 by Sir Lawrence van der Post. It's just such an incredible place. That's quite a collection of names that you've mentioned there. And I think anybody who, who's even remotely familiar with South African history or with the history of conservation in South Africa, that's quite an impressive collection of people that you're talking about. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, you know, the history is such a big part of this and, and guests tend to buy into the history of the uh, of the lodge on arrival. A few years ago, a story was actually put together on, on the history of, of Kirkman's itself. And we print that out for guests. And it goes through the through the real rough early stages of the 1920s, where obviously the, the cattle ranching and hunting was prolific, to kind of the, the sort of turn to conservation. The, that story references several well-known books, you know, written by the likes of, of the Varty family, the Cloppers, et cetera, et cetera. So there's just so many incredible stories where this incredible property is linked in the history of not just the Kruger National Park, but South Africa's first ever private game reserve. It is very extraordinary. Now, you, you very briefly mentioned Harry Kirkman, and obviously the lodge is named after him. And I know he was going back to the days when it was a commercial farm. He was the farm manager, but then he went on to have a very distinguished career in conservation. Can you tell us a little bit about him? What is his history and, and his background? What is the significance of that? So he first came to Toulon and, and actually lived in the original homestead in 1927, I think it was, working for a company by the name of the Transvaal Consolidated Land Company. And he was employed as the farm manager here. At the time, as I mentioned, there was a pawpaw plantation, but the focus of the farming was on, on cattle ranching. He was, uh, he was introduced to the area by Bert Tomlinson, who I mentioned earlier, and he was straight away told that lions and any form of predators were vermin and the cattle were to be protected at all costs. And the reminiscences of that cattle farm are, are actually still in play. The original cattle dips actually sit between the lodge and one of the staff villages that we have. And so Harry spent his early time protecting the cattle from from predators and obviously caring for the cattle because there's a lot of uh, a lot of diseases stuff that's kind of endemic to the area and uh, animals like buffalo natural carriers of it which the domestic cattle weren't and ironically it was actually that that put pay to the cattle farming in 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 this area it wasn't actually the mass predation by by lions which obviously happened from there Harry moved. He got renowned as a sort of an extremely good marksman. The staff actually nicknamed him, you have to excuse my pronunciations, but I think it's Muliana, which means a small fire, because he was such an incredible shot. And that marksmanship earned him a, a reputation, and he later got employed by the Kruger National Park, where I think he worked for almost 30 years in varying capacities, mm -hmm. including a clerk. He speaks about how useless he was as a clerk mm -hmm. and couldn't wait to get, get out into the field. And then he was section ranger in a variety of different sections in the park and was a sort of guy that loved to pioneer. If you gave him a challenge, he would dive deep. And Stevenson Hamilton refers to a story of where he challenged Harry to go and find black rhino. There'd been what they thought were signs of black rhino around in the park. But to their knowledge, the black rhino had been extinct since 1908. And it took Harry a number of years, but somewhere in the mid sort of 1940s, he eventually tracked down a black rhino. And I think that was the start of, of the conservationist coming to the fore with him. He then later returned after 30 years to Toulon and was employed as the first ever warden of the Sabi Sands. At that stage, it was the first ever private game reserve in South Africa. 
and a house was built for him, up, which is now actually in our staff village. And in fact, the home that I live in, it has the original date stamp on the side. And Harry was part of the original founders in forming what is now the Sabi Sands and has now become, you know, one of the world's most prestigious sought after big game wilderness areas. It's a really extraordinary story. And I mean, no wonder that the lodge is named after him. Yeah, he seemed like a character. Yeah, there's actually there's a wonderful story uh, <laughs> written, and if you don't mind, I'm actually going to read it to you uh, from Hannes Kloppers yes, um, in his book called Game Ranger, where he actually recalls the conversation where, mm-hmm. where Harry phoned him after having been attacked by a lion just in the river north of, of, of where uh, modern-day Anbion Tingile River Lodge is. And it's just a great way of kind of summing up what I assume the sort of character that Harry mm-hmm. was. So I'm going to read to you from the quote from the book where it says, suddenly the phone on my desk Mm -hmm. shrilled. Uncle Harry's well-known voice spoke from the other end and he wrote, Hannes, he asked for a customary greeting. Do you happen to have some decent ointment in your first aid kit? First tell me, Uncle Harry, I queried, what type of ointment? Is it for an open wound or what? Yes, for an open wound, he replied. What kind of wound, Uncle Harry? Lacerations, perhaps? Well." Harry mumbled, lion fangs. Good heavens, Uncle Harry, I exclaimed in utter amazement and at his calmness. Has one of your rangers been mauled? No, said Uncle Harry, I was. It's rather difficult to describe my consternation at his calm announcement. Are you seriously wounded, Uncle Harry? My words tumbled over one another. Does it bleed a lot? Are you badly in pain? Are you mauled? Harry replied, a mauling is always serious, son. As often as not, it is fatal. I was bitten in the arm, it is bleeding a good deal, and it does hurt somewhat. Have you some sort of ointment that also relieves pain? Heaven help me, Uncle Harry. One doesn't merely dab on some ointment after being mauled by a lion. We must get you to a doctor instantly. Can you come in, or shall I send a car for you? Somewhat reluctantly, he answered, don't trouble, I will come in. <laughs> Different breed of toughness. That's, yeah, you can, you can definitely see the character coming through there. <laughs> You know, with the sort of larger-than-life character, it's no wonder that, you know, you have so many antiques and photographs and, and mementos of, of Harry Kirkman and his life scattered throughout the lodge. Is that something that you've kept through this recent refurbishment? And also maybe the other part of that question is, you know, how do you balance that? Because I know there's a collection of rifles and there are old hunting photographs. And I know that some people come to this lodge and they think, well, this is all about conservation and all about photographic safari. Why have we got this sort of collection of weaponry up? But I think there's a very, very good story and a very, very good reason why we should sort of celebrate and highlight that, that history. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and sort of answer the first question. I mean, the director from the owners, Linda and Stephen Saad, was very much to maintain the original character of the lodge because of its authenticity and uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And actually, Fox Brown Creative, who we worked very closely with on this project, probably summed it up best in their original post when they announced that they were going to be doing the refurbishment, where they said, we're doing the same, same, but different. And so there's been an incredible job in the refurbishment, mm-hmm. I believe, to, to maintaining that integrity and that history. And, you know, again, no matter which part of history you look at, we've learned so much from, from hindsight and history. And I think it would be foolish of us to discredit the past that we've come from. A lot of our conservation practices, you know, when you look at the, at the early history of what we did, have mm-hmm. come from the mistakes we made. And I think that's one of the things I like about Kirkman's is 
we haven't hidden that stuff. It's it's out to bear. It, it's out for all the guests to see, and we're happy to engage and to have a conversation around it. You know, we know now that the the feeling towards trophy hunting has has very much changed. In those days, it was viewed predators were viewed very differently to how they were viewed now. They were in some ways viewed as vermin, whereas now they are now they're viewed as as assets to to the country and to an ecosystem and to a game reserve. And I think that 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 walk through history reminds us where we've come from and and where we are now. I think that's a very valid point. Also, you mentioned something that I think is very, very central to Kirkman's and sort of the atmosphere in the heart of the camp, and that's conversations with guests. I know that's something that the Lodge is so well known for. And I think one of the unique factors that has has always encouraged that is um, that little pub that or, or bar that you have in the main guest area. I think it's now known as Paul's Pub. Do you think, is is this the heart of the of the Lodge? And if it is, how has the refurbishment ensured that it remains and retains that sort of sense of warmth and sort of hospitality and coming together? So on arrival at Kirkman's, when you get met by the team and, uh, and whoever it is, whether it's Kelly, the lodge manager, or the safari hosts from Gift or Brett walking you through the lodge, the very first thing they will introduce you to is they'll introduce you to the, the picture of Harry that still sits above the fireplace. And the next aspect of the check-in is to introduce the bar area. And from that very moment, we say to guests that this place is the heart and soul of Kirkman's. And I think what's made it so unique is it's just become an incredible place of connection. And its layout previously mm-hmm. was was very much conducive to that. And the incredible job that uh, that Fox Brown creative have done here is they have now actually enhanced that. They've taken absolutely nothing away. We've bought some of the original pictures of the, the original lodge when it opened in 1983 in there. So there's a bit of a reshuffle and redesign. We've bought more seating into the area. Because people just love that area. There's a beautiful old tradition there with uh, with the scoreboards where you mark what you see and there's a point system. It's a great way of getting rival vehicles. I say rival vehicles because we're very competitive by nature here at Kirkman's. But other vehicles getting, it's a great way of getting guests to talk and, uh, and spark some rivalry. But mostly it sparks <laughs> conversation and it gets people talking. And that bar is just the most incredible place to be. And I think one of the other big changes and significant changes to that bar is the fact that we've actually brought the bar experience back to the bar. It used to sit back, tucked away in the, in a storeroom behind the bar, but now the bar is a live, ongoing experience. We've got mm-hmm. uh, training mixologists in place where the guys are creating this incredible experience that's fun and vibrant and just giving guests that opportunity to connect, connect with their guides, connect with the staff and to connect with each other. We laugh and we joke and we even say we think it's the ghost of Harry Kirkman that makes that place so special because there is just an amazing feeling about that room in particular. And it's probably one of my favorite rooms coming out of the refurbishment. Well, it's definitely not difficult to imagine Harry Kirkman strolling through there and having a chat. (laughs) Having a whiskey and reminiscing about the day and the events. And in some ways, we've really kept that tradition and that history alive. And like I said, as a person who's a big fan of history, the best way to maintain history is through tradition. Mm. And, and that bar, the, the new bar lends itself to it, possibly even more so than the old bar did. It's coming through very clearly now. You're obviously very, very excited about this revamp. Now, we know we've chatted about a couple of things here and there. What has been your favorite thing about the process? What have you enjoyed the most about it? I think the time frame that we got it done in 
And for anyone who's been involved in construction and to, again, the team of Fox Brown Creative, as well as Craig Paulson, who was our project manager within and beyond, I think to do the amount of work we did, we turned this whole refurbishment around in just less than three months. So that's probably my my overall favorite and thing that I I think we hold most proud. But I think as well, if you just look at some of the transformations of some of the rooms, the bar area, which we've spoken at length about, the, the change in the dining room. Which, which wasn't, I'm going to be honest here, it, it probably wasn't the best experience previously, but that room is now absolutely incredible. It's got a wonderfully warm, very opulent feeling to it. It's become an interactive sort of coffee bar. And it's a place now that we use liberally, whereas we generally mm-hmm. used to avoid using it. So it's been amazing to see that transformation. And then probably the guest bathrooms is the next area that you see a massive, massive transformation and at no stage mm. in any of these transformations has the character been yeah. lost. It feels very opulent, feels very fresh, it feels new, but it's still held on to that 1920s out of Africa charm that I think Kirkman's has become famous for and, and what so many of our repeat guests keep coming back for. Now, going back to that, the sense of connection that we spoke about and the, the warmth and the hospitality at the heart of the lodge, one of the other things that, that Kirkman's is really, really well known for is for being a fabulous lodge for, for families. What is it that makes it so wonderful for families traveling with children to come to Kirkman's? Well, you know, so our rooms sit back to back to each other. So from a location point of view, the family feels nice and close together. I think it just lends itself so well to children because you've got these vast sweeping lawns where kids can genuinely run and have a blast. You know, they can play croquet, they can play cricket, they can play touch rugby, and they can do that in areas where they don't impact on other guests. So there's the sense of space. And when you combine that with our Wild Child program and all the activities that we we can do in and around the reserve, whether it's cookie baking or or waffle baking in, in the new a coffee station or, or going out into the bush and doing some fishing and tracking with the rangers. They use plaster of Paris to make molds of, of the tracks. It really does lend itself to families being able to, to have fun. The pool area is well away from, from the main uh, guest bedroom area. So kids playing in the pool don't impact other guests who might be relaxing in their room and enjoying the view over the sand river. So it is just a great lodge for families. And when you combine that with the fact that it's a very connection-based, interactive lodge that encourages people to connect and talk, rather than being a sort of private specialist honeymoon destination, it, like I said, it just lends itself to that, to that sense of, of family. Hmm. Well, it's very much, I think, about that, the feeling of the old homestead. You know, when you walk into Kirkman's, there's that kind of sense that you've walked into a close relative's house or, or that you've come home. It doesn't really feel like a lodge. So I can see how it could very easily really lend itself to, to a family feeling. And that's such an important thing you said there. I think the, the, the aspect of our feedback that we look forward to the most is when guests tell us that they felt like they were in their home and, and they felt that mm-hmm. relaxed with the experience that they could just kick their feet off, put the feet on the couch and just sit back and relax. So that's probably the thing that the team pushed for the most is to try and get that sense of feedback where guests have really just felt like they're visiting someone's home and not, you know, a plush game lodge in the middle of Africa. Kirkman's in itself is, is, is a really extraordinary place, but it's also situated in probably one of the best known game reserves in the world. You know, the Saudi Sand has got a fantastic reputation for game viewing and it's one of the most renowned reserves in South Africa. 
Can you talk a little bit about what it is that makes it such special safari destination? Yeah, the Sabi sand is is famed for, for, for the two major rivers that flow through it, most prominently being the Sand River, which pretty pretty much cuts diagonally through through the whole reserve. And the resultant kind of riparian and woodland bush that surrounds it is ideal for prey species and as a result the, the multitude of predators that follow them. And that is what makes the reserve so sought after. I think to hone in specifically on Kirkmans and where we are incredibly lucky here is we're in the further south of the park. Um, we're at the closest point of the confluence of the Sand and the Sabi River. And in fact, Kirkmans and Tengile, along with uh, with the Kingston property, are the only two properties in the entire Sabi Sand Game Reserve that has access to both the Sabi and the Sand River. And you've just got prime, prime real estate that is ideally suited. And as I say, because it's close to that confluence, it's ideally suited to predators like leopard and lion. And that is what has made this reserve so famous and has been the thing that I think our guests have enjoyed the most is, is the predator interactions and the predator viewing that is on offer here at, at and beyond Kirkman's camp. That river frontage is, is very, very special. There are a couple of things about the concession that I know that you also do very well that, that give it that extra feeling of exclusivity. Things like monitoring the number of game drive vehicles and, and making sure that there are not too many vehicles at sightings. That really does give that feeling of, even though you're in one of the best known game reserves in the world, it still feels like you have a lot of time at game sightings. That's something that we really want to look after here at and beyond Kirkman's camp. We have access to 10,500 hectares of traversing. And whilst it's a cross agreement that we have with some of our neighbours, there should never be more than 12 vehicles in total surrounding that area. So it gives you time. It gives you luxury. There's no rush. You know, if you want to explore or do something different, 10,500 hectares or what's that, 22,000 acres, there's so much room to explore and varying habitats, you know, from the rocky outcrops in the north all the way along the mm. Sand River to the beautiful fig tree and then exploring the Sabi River. Just exploring the terrain can, can take up a whole game drive. And having so few vehicles on such a big area gives you that freedom. If you find a leopard and you want to sit with it, there's no need to be a time restraint on it. You can enjoy that animal in its, in its natural habitat, doing what it does. Mm. And that's an incredible luxury. You know, when you consider how fast-paced life has become, we're able to really slow it down here. And I think that's something that makes particularly mm. the southern part of, of the Sabi Sand such a special place. And the wildlife as well is also so so well habituated to the vehicles that they it, it doesn't feel intrusive at all. No, 100%. And it just lends itself to some of the most incredible photographic opportunities. I was actually talking to a guest this morning where he was just so taken aback by a leopard picture that he'd taken that he said, you know, this is like National Geographic quality in his mind. And it was just, you know, we just were able to do that because of these years of conservation, the years of effort that these incredible people before us have put in to habituate particularly leopards to the presence of vehicles mm. where they have accepted us as being part of their environment. And as a result, they carry on and they trust us. You know, you can drive into a leopard's den, which is a very personal experience. And that leopard, she won't react to it. And as a result, her cubs won't react to it. And you're just growing generations of leopards who mm -hmm. are, are, are ensuring that ecotourism remains sustainable for forever, hopefully.
And there really is that sense of benefiting from the history of of the place and from the many, many generations of conservationists that have looked after it, going all the way back to Kirkman, that have looked after the area and also the Kruger Park, because, of course, you've got unfenced boundaries with the Kruger Park. Yeah, 100%. I know the Saabi Sand, one of its main draw cards is leopards. The leopard density is absolutely incredible and the sightings are unbelievable. But I think something that's very, very special at Kirkman's as well, and that maybe not that many international guests know about, is the wild dogs. The Kirkman's concession in particular has had incredible luck with wild dogs denning almost every year for the past four or five years. How special is that? How rare is it? And how difficult is it usually to see wild dogs? That's funny. You're talking about my two most passionate things, one being history and the other being wild dogs. They're incredible (laughs) animals. And when I started working here, I'd never seen a wild dog den seven years ago. And six of the seven years that I've been here, we've had the dogs denning on our concession. In that time, and I, I may be misspoken, you might be out by a little bit, but wild dog numbers in the Kruger have probably increased from sort of the mid-hundreds to now the mid-200s. So you're talking about having 250, maybe 300 wild dogs mm. in an area of the whole Kruger National Park. So we're talking 6 million acres. So you can do the maths on, on just how tough they would be to find. Then you mm. couple that with their, their habits where they, they roam massive home ranges. It's not uncommon for packs to, to cover an area of over 60,000 hectares. And we've been able to, to spend a lot of time with these animals now, more than we've had in previous years. And we've been able mm. to learn so much about them. And in 2014, when what was now named the Toulon Pack, which is after the property that we own, you know, when they denned on our property in 2014, there was five adults and they gave birth to six puppies. During that denning season, the alpha male was killed by a lion and that pack later on split. And the split part of that pack has ended up right on the Mozambique border, east of Lower Sabi in the Kruger National Park. So that just gives you an idea as to how much they move. But in terms of the numbers, Mm -hmm. the same pack denned here in 2020 this year during our lockdown period. And it has now grown to 11 adults and they gave birth to 17 puppies. And to my knowledge, the rangers can correct me, but to my knowledge, Mm -hmm. all 17 of those puppies are are, are still alive three months after the denning season. So you've now got a pack that moves into the area of about 28 dogs, which is an incredible experience. And they, they, they really seem to like this area. As I mentioned earlier, the, the vegetation and that that we have is very conducive to the way they and other predators mm. like to hunt. And yeah, we've been extremely blessed to have incredible wild dog viewing at and beyond Kirkman's camp over the last six years. And the population of wild dogs seems to be doing mm. really, really well as a whole. And, and I think what very few people know is that it's probably one of the most yeah. endangered big predators in the world. And a lot of guests are often surprised mm. to see them but also they're often excited to see them. It's, it's an animal, they don't sit still. They're, they're always doing something, whether it's the puppies playing or the adults hunting. It's a very high energy animal. To maintain that mm-hmm. energy, they need to eat a lot. So they're, they're very active hunters. They tend to hunt outside of the times that lions and leopards hunt to try and avoid conflict with them. So they're just mm-hmm. a fun, high energy animal to, to be around. The only downside to wild dogs that I can tell you about mm-hmm. probably is their smell. Um, And that's something that I think we've just learned to accept over the last seven years. Some of the trackers here will actually recognize their presence and how fresh their tracks are based on whether there is a sort of lingering odor in the air of the dogs having passed through. And when the trackers tend to get excited, it's when they can smell the dogs more than when they're actually tracking the dogs. So there you go. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the scent has its uses as well. <laughs> yeah, but it it really is amazing. I mean, I, I spent a fair amount of time bumping around trying to track down wild dogs as well, from Medique to Ngala and and Kirkman's is just the place. It is we- the sightings are unbelievable. And as, as I say, and if you look at the dogs over the whole of the Kruger National Park, I mean, and beyond Ngala and and beyond Kirkman's have basically shared den sites um, with different packs over the last six years. So that has given our guests incredible exposure to, the, to these highly endangered animals. And obviously, the more we can expose people to them, the more we can educate them about them. They have some of the characteristics as domestic dogs that they become very easy for guests to like and, and even love. And that bodes well for the Mm. conservation of the species. Mm -hmm. Brendan, obviously you've spent such a great deal of time both at the lodge and and in the bush. Kirkman's being such an open nature and with the amount of wildlife all around it, there's always bound to be a lot of interesting wildlife encounters, whether it's in the bush or at the lodge. And I know you've had almost a resident leopard at the lodge. What are some of your favorite stories with wildlife at Kirkman's? How do you manage those interactions when they do happen? I think the one story that I constantly think of and I tell my family, my friends and my children about, and it kind of lends to the whole Harry Kirkman theme because it's a lion story. I'd I'd left my office, I was driving up to my house and as I got home, I got a report that two male lions were headed straight towards Kirkman's camp. So I quickly loaded my two kids on the vehicle and we went down radioing the housekeepers to warn them that there's impending danger because obviously forewarned is uh, is is to be prepared. Mm-hmm. So we got the housekeepers out of the way because the lions at this stage were going to walk straight through the middle of Kirkman's camp across the lawn. I got hold of maintenance. We got hold of everyone. And basically that mm-hmm. is our approach to it is to be hands off and to let, you know, let the animal move on on their own accord. However, I had uh, I was unable to contact our gardener, a guy by the name of Jack Sabui, who was on the mm-hmm. ride on mower attending to the, the world-famous lawns that we have here at Kirkman's. And at the time, he had his earphones in because he was listening to his favorite oh, wow. music. And he was very merrily potting along, cutting the grass with these two male lions heading straight towards him. And mm-hmm. he was completely mm-hmm. oblivious to the thing. He only saw the lions when they'd passed him and they probably only passed him by about 30 or 40 meters with us waving frantically shouting screaming trying to make a noise and he only realized the lines were probably 100 meters from him when he realized and at that point you know fear kicked in and he very quickly dismounted from the lawnmower and disappeared behind the wall and uh, and and stayed there until we told him it was it was safe but that's probably my my, my sort of fondest memory and one that when I think back on I, I have a good laugh I wouldn't want to think of the story ending any other way, but uh, again, the lions were the lions saw him. They 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 generally well they avoided him completely, and that's been a large reason why we have this hands off approach. Because if you just leave these animals, mm. they're well aware of our presence. They're well aware of our scent. They don't want to conflict. They just want to move on out and carry on doing mm. what what they needed to do. So that's probably one of my favorite stories. There's there's been some other good ones. Um, we had a leopard now during lockdown kill a civet and drag it and put it under the tables in the boma. That gave us some gray hairs trying to get the leopard out of the boma safely so that the staff could continue, you know, doing doing mm-hmm. their chores. I have had some fun memories of a hippo chasing a leopard up the tree while the guests were enjoying a drink at Paul's pub. Yes. This time of the year. In January, mm. the elephants coming to feed on the marula fruits that have fallen on the lawn mm. is, is a massive big hit. So there really is, because it's so open and so close to the river, there's just a multitude of animals that move through here. And we, we're very blessed to enjoy those sightings with our guests in a, in a safe manner. 
and sometimes in an extremely entertaining manner as well. <laughs> well, I think that's that's really the beauty of it. There's that that sort of element of respect for the animals. I mean, they were there first, and as long as we respect them, then they'll respect us too. Hundred percent. Brandon, thank you so much. It's been absolutely fabulous talking to you about Kirkman's and um, it's definitely made me want to come back very, very soon and visit. Well, like I said, we, we're very proud of it. We're desperate to show, to show off the new lodge. So yeah, just encourage people to, to travel and to come and spend some time with us and to, to contribute to what will one day be remembered as a, as a time in history. So, Thank you so much for your time, Cassie. I've loved it. I've loved reminiscing. Thank you for making me go through some of the old history books. It's a, it's a great place. It's a great story and, and certainly <laughs> one that we, we look forward to telling to many of our guests in the, the coming months and years. Thank you for listening to End Beyond Fireside Chats. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. If you have any comments or feedback or would like to suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, drop us an email at firesidechats at endbeyond.com. We'd love to hear from you.